Even though this is a presidential election, there are many more candidates on the ballot besides the president. So go to Ballot Ready for a nonpartisan guide to your entire ballot. From there, you can compare candidates based on the stances on issues, biography, or endorsements, and then save your choice to use when you vote by mail or in the voting booth. You can even request your absentee ballot or make a plan to vote early or on Election Day. This election matters. So make sure you are ready and you vote and you vote informed. So visit go to ballot.org, enter your address to make sure that you vote and vote informed. And welcome to a special episode of the PBL Podcast, where on this episode, we're just going to talk about day two of the Democrat National Committee Convention. As always, I'm here with my trusted canine, Woody. Woody, how are you doing? Say hello to everybody. Woody says bark. Now, if Woody was a, a human, but he's not, he's a dog and he could talk, he would tell you to head over to our website, pblpodcast.com, click on our YouTube link, check out our videos and subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. We just put a video up, a Jeffrey Epstein, Bill Clinton conspiracy and a few other things sprinkled into that one as well. So please head over to pblpodcast.com, click on our YouTube link and subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Of course, you can catch us on all of our social media platforms using the handle, the PBL Podcast. We are on Facebook, Instagram, do a lot of TikToks too. I'm on Twitter quite a bit, so you can catch me on Twitter. If you want to interact with me, interact with me on Twitter, the PBL Podcast. All right, this special episode, we're going to talk day two of the Democrat National Committee Convention. But well, how did day one go? How were the ratings? Well, the ratings are in, and as suspected, the ratings are down. Across the board, the ratings are down 28%. Across the board for the alphabet networks, ABC, CBS, NBC, they're down 42%. That's a big number. Now, I don't know how to gauge this because this is a virtual convention. It's way different than any other convention because, you know, it's not the excitement of the crowd, but it's still being aired. Uh, the problem I see with this type of convention is it feels like you're on a Zoom call. The whole thing feels like you're on a Zoom call, and you hear that referenced quite a bit because why? Well, that's because that's what it feels like, and I don't know. Maybe people are Zoomed out, but also on the flip side of that, 21 days makes a habit, and we've been on Zoom calls for a lot longer than 21 days, so... I don't know. Our barometer will be when the Republican convention starts. How do they do versus last year? Now, they have an advantage. Their advantage is they get to watch what the Democrats are doing and learn from whatever mistakes they are making. For me, this is very, very flat because what I'm seeing is I'm seeing a lot of people trying to make it exciting, but it's just flat. Now, here uh, is the agenda. Now, if you were part of the Democrat National Committee, here's what you would have been privy to because it started at noon. The, uh, the live feed didn't start till nine. But gosh, if you were there, you would have been able to attend a rural caucus meeting, a senior councils meeting, an LGBTQ caucus meeting, uh, a Muslim delegate assembly, small business council meeting, disability council meeting, Jewish American community meeting, all kind of fun stuff, a Native American caucus meeting, council on environmental and climate crisis meeting, veterans and military families meeting. So, oh, the wonkiness that must have been going on at those meetings. But then it starts at 9 p.m. Now, I'm going to put this link in my show notes. I'm using cspan.org 
as uh, the, the calendar. And it's pretty good the way they, it's very simple to read. So here is the agenda for day two yesterday. They start with the Pledge of Allegiance. And you know what? This time, I think they got it right more so than last time, but there was one nuance that I saw in there. What they did was a Zoom call, Pledge of Allegiance, and they zoomed into many different people, very much a diverse group of people, but several of them were not holding their hand over their heart. That must have been their minor protest. They said the Pledge of Allegiance, but they didn't hold their hand over their heart. I know it's a nuance. I know, I know. But still, it's a nuance to take notice of. There's about three or four that didn't. And then they did their keynote, which was um, a hodgepodge of up-and-coming Democrat candidates. And it centerpiece none other than on Stacey Abrams. Uh, is Stacey still claiming to be the governor of Georgia? I lost count. I lost side if she did. I mean, she's, I don't know, she ever ceded the loss and it was not a slim margin loss. Otherwise it would have went into a runoff, but she, there she was front and center. It went through a lot of different candidates. They gave us their talking points, you know, orange man, bad, Biden, good. And then Abrams did the same thing at the end. And then it ended with kind of like a um, Brady bunch thing with Abrams right in the middle, giving again, talking points, orange man, bad, Joe Biden, unity, unity, unity. That's the whole theme of day two was orange man bad, dividing the country. Biden, he's going to bring us together. He's a nice guy, a family man. And oh, yeah, Biden's our guy. He, he's got a proven track record. He's got a horrible track record. But and some of the things that they said about Trump, too. But I'm going to get into some of that. So it goes on. The MC for this one was Tracy Ellis Ross. No idea who she is. Sally Yates gave a speech. You know Sally Yates, the one who threw James Comey under the bus in front of the in Congress. That's Sally Yates. And then Chuck Schumer. You, you know, if you watch video, watch his. He starts off almost like a jump in his step trying to be exciting. And then just gets into that typical Schumer delivery, which is just awful. But again, orange man bad, Biden good. That's all you're going to get. Um, Caroline Kennedy and Jack Schlossberg did a piece. I didn't watch it. Former President Jimmy Carter did a voiceover to a video. I saw some of it. it actually looked pretty good. And then Clinton, Bill Clinton. Now, this is interesting. Um, Bill Clinton's getting slammed by the left for his speech. Now, Vox, if you're familiar with Vox, Vox.com, they are a far left rag. They did a winners and losers, and one of their losers was Bill Clinton. And they talk about how he did 50 minutes uh, for Barack Obama, 41 minutes for Hillary in 2016. And here's what they said about this one. But Bill Clinton's place in the Democrat Party of 2020 has grown much more tenuous in the age of Me Too and increasing questioning of his and Hillary's legacy. Uh-oh, cracks in the seams for the Clintons with the left. Now, he only got 16 minutes, I think. I don't even know if he got that much. And you know what? It wasn't a bad speech. It was, it was typical. He looked better than I thought he would look because he's been looking pretty rough. But this came on the eve, on the eve of a picture being released of him getting a neck massage from one of Jeffrey Epstein's victims. That's right. Uh, he, he, <laughs> I did an episode uh, just the other day, and it's on uh, uh, on my YouTube. And again, go to our YouTube channel, the PBO Podcast, and you subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. But you can see the video that we did, uh, a conspiracy video, uh, an update on the Epstein thing. We talked about this with Bill Clinton and his role in all of this. So on the eve of that picture being released, he is giving a speech at the Democrat National Committee convention. Now, it was already pre-planned, so I'm sure they couldn't bump out of it, but I got to tell you, that that's probably why the left is starting to distance themselves 
from Clinton. I get a little more of what I think is going to happen to Clinton. Potentially, possibly, it's all conspiracy stuff, all speculation, just having for fun in that episode. And it's also uh, one of previous podcast released too. But Clinton's speech wasn't bad. I thought he did a pretty decent job. It was vintage, classic Clinton. Delivery was good. Body language was good. I mean, what he was talking about, how, you know, basically orange man bad and the crap he was saying about Trump, same thing. And he even used that line, it is what it is, that Michelle Obama used the line before. So, you know, for the sake of time, I'm not going to get too much into Bill Clinton, but he's wrong on what Trump has been doing with the virus. Now, and the reason I bring that up is the left is trying to paint a picture that the coronavirus has been mishandled by Donald Trump. It it just hasn't. They're trying to paint a picture that he did nothing. Bill Clinton went into that quite a bit. And you see that from other pundits or talking heads spewing those talking points at at the DNCC. But, you know, if you go back and look at the timeline, which I have right here, you will see that Trump, was working with WHO in China and it was on it from day one. Here, this is from NPR, not exactly known for their conservatism. Now their bias is in this and I'm going to point that out, but here's the head on a timeline of coronavirus comments from President Trump and the World Health Organization. So on January 5th, the WHO reported pneumonia of unknown cases in Wuhan, China. So on January 5th, the WHO, they said something's up here in Wuhan, China. The the WHO advises against the application of any travel or trade restrictions on China based on current information available on this event. That was January 5th. January 9th, the WHO released a statement announcing the source of disease. It was out of Wuhan, China. That's the source. January 9th, WHO. January 14th, WHO official gives conflicting signals about whether there is human-to-human transmission. So they say there isn't. Then they say they might be. So, but they basically downplay human-to-human transmission on January 14th. January 22nd, asked by CNBC whether there are any concerns about the virus spreading to the U.S., Trump responded, we have it totally under control. It's one person coming in from China. We have it under control. It's going to be just fine. And the left is holding him accountable for saying that, January 22nd. January 23rd, the WHO Director General Tedros said in a statement that it was too early to declare the coronavirus outbreak a public health emergency of international concern. Make no mistake, this is an emergency in China, but it has not yet become a global health emergency. It may yet become one. That was January 23rd. January 24th, in a tweet, Trump praised China for its efforts to prevent the spread of the virus. And he gives some praise to China. This is also where he got in trouble that the left is holding him accountable because he said he wanted he he said he greatly appreciates their efforts in transparency, quote unquote, with regards to China. January 29th, Dr. Mike Ryan, head of the World Health Organization's Health Emergencies Program, said the whole world needs to be on alert now. The whole world needs to take action and be ready for any cases that come from the epicenter or other epicenter that becomes established. They're talking about Wuhan, China. January 20, January 30th, at a campaign rally in Iowa, Trump talked about the U.S. partnership with China to control disease. We only have five people. Hopefully, keyword he says, hopefully everything's going to be great. They have somewhat of a problem, but hopefully, again, keyword, it's all going to be great. But we're working with China, just so you know, and other countries very, very closely so it doesn't get out of hand. Nothing wrong with that statement. Not a thing. I mean, who does not want to be hopeful that this doesn't get out of hand? That's January 30th. Now, this is NPR. This is where their bias comes in. There's nothing here for January 31st. What happened on January 31st? Trump initiated his travel ban of China. 
Uh, on February 2nd, an interview with Sean Hannity, Trump said, we pretty much shut it down coming in from China. His executive order banning anyone who has been in China in the previous 14 days, with exceptions, including for U.S. citizens, lawful permanent residents, and their close family members, went into effect. January 31st. And guess who was against it? Guess who called Trump xenophobic for doing it? That's right. Joe Biden, who's been wrong on every policy issue, foreign policy issue in his entire career. That's right. His entire career. Biden has been wrong, wrong and wrong. So February 4th at a WHO briefing, Tegros urged that there be no travel bans. We reiterate our call to all countries not to impose restrictions and unnecessarily interfere with international travel and trade. That was February 4th. The WHO was saying no travel bans. And January 31st, Trump had already initiated a travel ban. And what is the left saying? What did they say in the convention? This uh, also was in um, uh, President Clinton's speech, is he needs to listen to the experts, listen to the scientists. Well, if he had done that, he being Trump, President Donald J. Trump, if he had listened to the experts, listened to the scientists, we would not have a travel ban January 31st. And how much more damage would the virus have done to our country? So here's a case where he didn't listen to those experts, and it was a pretty good call. February 10th at a campaign rally in Manchester, Man Manchester New Hampshire, Trump said, looks, looks, looks like by April, you know, in theory, when it gets a little warmer, it miraculously goes away. I hope that's true, but we're doing great in our country. China, I spoke with President Xi and they're working very, very hard and I think it's going to all work out fine. So that optimism is what got him in trouble. But look at it, February 10th, their work, I mean, this all started or came to light January 5th for the most part. And Trump has been on it, his administration has been on it from the beginning and even initiated that travel ban again that Biden said was xenophobic. So, you know, February, I'm going to go on. February 11th at a WHO briefing, Chagos urged world leaders to give priority to containing the virus. To be honest, a virus is more powerful in creating political, economic, and social upheaval than any terrorist attack. <coughs> and how true has that statement come to be? Because the left has weaponized the virus, weaponized it. They've made this a political, they've made this a, a social upheaval um, with all these riots and these protests. The left heard that and heard something totally different than what most people hear. They looked at it as an opportunity. And this virus is exactly what the left is using to wedge our country apart. On February 13th, in an interview with Geraldo Rivera, Trump characterized the threat of the virus in the U.S. by saying, in our country, we have we only have basically 12 cases. And most of those people are recovering, in some cases, fully recovered. So it's actually less. I mean, we're talking about a virus that has a 98.5% survival rate. The death rate is so low compared to our population, but Trump hasn't done anything, which is lies. It's all lies. So there, it goes on, and March 11th is when the World Health Organization assess that's made the assessment that COVID-19 can be characterized as a pandemic, quote-unquote, from Tedros of the World Health Organization. That was March 11th. Again, this is an NPR article. So their bias is most a lot of times seen in what they don't tell you. What this article is not telling you on March 13th, uh, President Obama, um, sorry, President Trump signed a, a, an executive order or proclamation that this was also a pandemic. So the World Health Organization declared this a pandemic March 11th. 
The United States declared it the pandemic March 13th, two days. So to say that Trump has done nothing, well, that's just not true. But they don't care about the truth. The left doesn't care about the truth. But you're going to hear this throughout the entire convention because what they're trying to do is they're trying to paint Donald Trump as a poor manager. They're talking about his business failings. They're, they're, tying, they're making an analogy that he's bankrupted his business, so he's bankrupting the country. But this, this virus has been unlike anything that we've seen in our lifetime. No, Kamala, it was not like the Ebola outbreak. The Ebola outbreak was not a pandemic. This is a pandemic. And the overreach of government, in my opinion, has been unprecedented. And the Democrats want more. So for them to say that Trump has done nothing is just simply not true. So Tom Perez speaks, typical, typical, typical. I was going to say stuff. And then at 939, AOC, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, nominates Bernie Sanders. Now, a lot of people are saying, oh, my God, she she nominated Bernie Sanders or, or she, you know, came out for Bernie Sanders at the convention. It's a procedural thing, ladies and gentlemen. This had to happen because Bernie won enough delegates to get on the platform as a candidate. Then they count all the delegates and either Bernie's going to win or Biden's going to win. And yes, it's preordained. We all know that Biden had enough delegates and Bernie didn't, but he earned enough delegates to have this procedural process. And AOC is a strong supporter of Bernie Sanders. I think we're taking the AOC thing way out of context. Some are saying that she's only she only got 60 minutes at the convention. Ha, ha, ha. They wanted the container. This is all procedural. All she was there for was to announce the nomination of Bernie Sanders for president of the United States under the Democrat ticket but because it, he won enough delegates to have that. So much ado about nothing. And then they have more speakers, but then it gets to, you know, Joe Biden winning the nomination. You got to go watch the video on that. They're in a library and yeah, they they had some confetti drop from the ceiling. And, you know, it's, it's trying to fake the excitement in a Zoom call. And it was just, I just, he came across looking out of it. And I don't think he was, but he, he's, I mean, he's looking at a monitor and he's like looking as if he's looking around the room. So they're trying to play it up. The acting was bad. That's what it was. It was bad acting on Biden's part. But you're going to see a lot of pictures of him saying, look how out of it he looks. Does he even know where he's at? That's going to be the jokes and the memes. But it wasn't that. It was bad acting, which is a lot of this, by the way. And then in the background, I don't know if you caught it. I think, I'm not sure, because they're wearing masks. Kamala Harris was there. That's about the only time you saw or heard of Kamala Harris. Now, the... Um, MC Tracy Ellis Ross mentioned Kamala Harris's name a couple of times, but you, didn't, you have not heard day one, day two, a lot about Kamala Harris. Now, why is that? Well, a lot of this is pre-recorded, probably recorded before Kamala Harris uh, was selected. But the scene of him winning the nomination and accepting the nomination with the confetti coming from the low ceiling in a library, it was just awkward. It was just bad setting. It really was. The Democrats... You know, they, they partner with Hollywood. They could have done a lot better. This was just way off. All right, so then we go into some, you know, more platitudes of people that support the Democrats. And then John Kerry, former Secretary of the State, gets up there and calls Trump's foreign policy a blooper reel. Really, John? I'm sorry. He 
this is the man that gave a pallet full of cash to Iran. This is the man that uh, kept in contact with the Iranians after President Trump was elected and got out of that bad, bad nuclear deal with Iran. You know, this is a guy trying to say Trump's foreign policy is making us look bad across the country. And a previous podcast, I I talked and played a video of these pundits in Australia, how they were talking about how Biden's cognitive abilities are making him a threat and making him a problem. So no, he's wrong. Kerry couldn't be more wrong. Trump's foreign policy has been phenomenal. In the show notes, I'll put to a story, uh, a link to an article by the uh, Washington Examiner that's got 289 accomplishments in just 20 months. The article came out October 12, 2018 from... Uh, promises kept from Trump. And there are all kind of foreign policy promises in there. And that's just from 2018. So, and there's tons of accomplishments in all sectors, healthcare, uh, worker development, tax cuts, but his foreign policy, in my opinion, has been one of his stronger. I mean, he, he brokered a deal with North Korea to denuclearize them. And we haven't heard about how they're doing much saber rattling lately, have we? Um, we he he has um, sanctioned Russian companies. He's put some tariffs against China. Manufacturing is coming back from China. Businesses are coming back to the United States. We've had trillion a trillion dollars come back to the United States because of the deregulation Trump has done. We've got. Uh, less people coming across our borders. I think his foreign policy has been phenomenal. He moved the U.S. Embassy in Israel to Jerusalem, which was, I mean, nobody thought he would actually do that. And he just brokered a Mideast peace deal. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and, and Kerry's going to try to say it's a blooper reel? No. Sorry, John. You, got, you and President Obama were a joke internationally. Uh, your line in the sand against Syria was a joke. You drew the line and they walked right over it, which they in fact walked right over you. You gave Iran billions of dollars so they could continue on with their terrorist practices. And they used that money that you released to them to do just that. Iran is a bad actor and you guys were playing footsies with Iran. No. Foreign countries know this president means business. Foreign countries know that he says what he means and means what he says. This, this president has a backbone. The Obama administration with John Kerry as secretary of state had little. And he tries to come off all, you know, um, diplomatic and, and dignitary, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, John Kerry was a horrible secretary of state. You know, he's a horrible candidate for president and just a god-awful human being. And he's one who should have been held accountable for his um, behind-the-scenes conversations with foreign countries uh, when he was not in a position of power in our government. So John Kerry's the joke. He is a running blooper reel. And then Colin Powell, which, you know, they're trying to bring in all the former Republicans. Colin Powell hasn't voted for Republicans since maybe George W. Bush. And we don't even know if he voted for George W. Bush second term. So he, he voted for Obama two terms. This is no big surprise. It's a disappointment, but no big surprise. Uh, and so then, you know, they tie him into John McCain. So again, they're trying to bring in the never Trumpers and trying to show, see, see all these, these Republicans, they know orange man bad. So they're going to vote for 
John, Joe Biden. So that was the whole the whole DNCC last night. It was established Democrat Democratic people in the party basically going orange mad bad, giving you misinformation or lying outright, going for the um, the sound bites, giving you the talking points. So 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 far day one and day two, we've got basically the Democrats are running the character of Trump against the character of Joe Biden. I'm not sure that's going to work for him. You know, Joe Biden's got a problem with women, you know, so do Trump. We'll put that out there. But Joe Biden's got the same problem. And then in Jill Biden's speech, she's talking about how Joe would give people his private phone number. Jill, don't you think I'd be a little worried about that if I were you? <laughs> I mean, she's boasting how, you know, he'll just give them their private number. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I'd be a little worried. Now, I, I, I didn't know if I wanted to go here today, but I'm going to go here. Because since our U.S. media won't do anything, it's pretty much the foreign media that we have to rely on. The Bidens gave this glowing story. They, Joe Biden and Joe Biden did a video where they talked about how they met, how he asked her five times to marry her and she wouldn't. But it's not the real story how they met. So there's a couple of stories coming out of England um, because our media won't dig into this. And here is the headline. Biden stole my wife, Joe Biden, and his wife, Jill, had a fair when she was still married, her first husband claims. Now, you know, I don't know if, the, you know, this is the reporting coming out. Uh, and I was almost hesitant not to go there because, you know, Trump's not a saint in this regard either. But when they come out with this glowing, glowing way, oh, look at how just wonderful Joe is. And, you know, and, and if it turns out that Jill Biden was married and they were having an affair, and, well, that that whole gushy um, story they told of how they came together, well, it's just not true. I mean, they've been married for a long time, so I'll give them that. But um, Bill Stevenson, Jill Biden's ex-husband, tells a pretty compelling story. Uh, he's actually going to have a book about it. But he basically says that the story the presidential candidate tells about how he fell in love with his wife after a blind date is a lie. If they're having an affair, that is a flat-out lie, but it's not unlike Biden to lie. Biden's been lying his whole career. But he also revealed that he was publishing a book that will blow the lid off of the sham story, whether or not the U.S. media, well, we know the U.S. media won't pick it up. But uh, here's what he goes on to say. It's a sham that after 45 years, all of a sudden, this is being revisited, they added. Stevenson founded the Stone Balloon, a famous live music club near the University of Delaware. He made headlines in 2018 when he had a heart attack in New York City and was brought back to life after being dead for six minutes. Two years after marrying Jill in 1970, Stevenson claims that they met Joe and his wife, uh, Nelia, in the Biden's kitchen. He also claims he gave nearly $11,000 in cash to Joe's first campaign for Senate. Stevenson told the Daily Mail that he suspected Joe and Jill were having an affair after in 1974, uh, he asked Jill to go to northern New Jersey with him to meet Bruce Springsteen, and she said no. Hey, I, I wouldn't want to go see Bruce Springsteen, so I don't know how much uh, weight that has. But anyway, she had things to do. She had to look after Joe's kids, Bo and Hunter. This is after Joe's wife had been killed in a car crash. Uh, and it was kind of a big deal to go meet Springsteen. I had no idea she and Joe were that kind of friendly. Then one of her best friends told me she thought Joe and Jill were getting a little too close, he added. I was surprised that she came to me. Uh, two months later, Stevenson allegedly got confirmation of the affair after a man told him Jill and Joe had been driving together. Stevenson claims that she asked Jill to leave their house 
which she did, even though her father allegedly begged Stevenson to take her back. I consider Joe a friend, Stevenson said. I'm not surprised he fell in love with Jill. Everybody who meets Jill falls in love with her immediately. It's hard not to. So that's true. Yeah, you know, I, I don't really care, but enough of the lies. I just don't play it up as a story, this every man's story. So um, uh, again, you know, I'm not going to hold him for this one other than if he's lying, which he often does. So, he, but you know, people don't fall for it. You know, find the information, read behind the stories because all the information is there. So, and I'm not going to slam on Jill Biden's speech. She gave a decent speech. It was a little awkward. It was in a school and the awkward part was just getting the audio, not the audio, but you know, you could see the beginning of a speech. They had to tell her to start. So, and, and, you know, they were getting some flack for everything being recorded. So I think they did this one live because of that flack they've been getting. So the whole convention, I'm just I'm going to hold off and I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt, them being the Democrats, because this is new, a virtual convention. I don't know how you make it exciting. We'll see what the GOP can do with it. So maybe the GOP can um, make this very exciting. They have the opportunity when they hold their convention, but they also have the opportunity they get to watch what's not working with the Democrats. So that's the envious position of going second with these kind of things. So anyway, thank you for listening to this special episode of the PBL podcast. Again, Woody, thank you for being a faithful dog, listening and being an audience member again. And again, if Woody could talk, because you know he can't, he's a dog, he would tell you to go over to our website, pblpodcast.com, click on our YouTube link and subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Now at our website, by the way, I put all the newsletters, show notes, so all the articles I refer to, I put in there. And you can also have access to the shows, the uh, audio broadcast podcast. And of course, there's the link to the YouTube, which I want you to click on and I want you to subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Actually, Woody would like you to do that. I mean, you don't want to disappoint a dog. It's a really nice dog. Again, thank you for listening to this episode of the PBO Podcast.